Hi, and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie, and in each episode, I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancocks and I chat to nature photographer Anna Wood, who, after developing severe ME, which left her mostly housebound, discovered the joy of watching and photographing birds in her garden. She explains how connecting with nature has affected her mental and physical health, and how her photographs have been turned into a book, inspiring others to make more space for nature in their lives. Hi Anna, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you became a nature photographer, please? Oh, hello and thank you very much for, for having me. Oh, well, I sort of, it came about by accident, really, and it's, it's something that's still fairly new to me, so I've only really been doing it a couple of years. It's not something that's in my background, so actually I'm a, a physicist originally, and I've worked in universities around the, uh, around the UK, and that's what brought me to Glasgow. You can tell from my accident that I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not originally from Scotland. And then in, in 2008, my health suddenly crashed. You've said already that I've got ME and I've had it mildly up to for quite a few years up to that point. And suddenly it became really unwell and that left me pretty much housebound um, and unable to work. So I had to have a change of career direction. And at that point, I did an MSc in e-learning. And I've been working for the University of Edinburgh about four or five hours a week doing education research, which is still nothing to do with nature. But it gave me that connection to the outside world, which I really needed being being housebound. And that's something that I then realized that that nature could give me as well and that I was missing. And I started looking uh, online at, at nature photographs and I came across Carl Bovis on Twitter, who is a fantastic nature photographer. I think he's self-taught and he takes photographs of birds, often quite common birds in flight um, or, or midair. And they're often like blue tits or chaffinches, but they just really capture a moment. And that coincided with a time when I had just got a new camera and it had a zoom lens. And I thought, well, I could have a go at that maybe <laughs> just for fun. And you never know with any, you never know what your body's going to be capable of. It might have been something I could just buy and actually it made me really unwell. And it turned out, actually, I could do it, not every day, not even every week, but I could do it every now and again, um, enough. And I had a go. And I took a photo of, of a robin um, with its wings out, just, just about to land on the peanut feeder. And I posted it on social media and got some really lovely comments. And, you know, looking back, it's, it's not a great photo, but, but it gave me so much joy and it gave other people so much joy. And, and so I started to get much more into it and um, spent a lot more time doing it after that. Anna, so being a, a more housebound nature photographer is slightly unusual. Could you tell us about some of the, the challenges you face with not being able to get out quite so much and, and how you overcome them? Yeah, I mean, the most obvious challenge is I have to wait for birds to come to me. So, you know, ideally I would go out to one of the wonderful nature reserves that are around Scotland and go and find some birds. But I can't do that. And I have to just hope that birds will come and, and find me in a way that I can take photographs of them. And I do things to try and, you know, help that to happen. So I have bird feeders. I've got peanuts and fat balls and, and seeds. And in fact, excitingly, yesterday I put up for the first time a Niger seed feeder. So I'm hoping that that will bring goldfinches. 
and it's it's a very small garden so i live in a you know suburb of glasgow most birds come to the the front garden which is a strip of grass about five meters by three meters that sort of slopes down to the to the road and i put in some bushes and flower beds just around the around the edge and i think that really helps that really encourages birds to come so the dunnocks particularly love pecking around under the hydrangea bush so that sort of helps to overcome that that challenge of you know try at least trying to encourage birds to come to me if i can't get out to them the other problems i have is i can't stand up for very long and that's very tricky i can't move around to to go and find birds i, I really have to sit and sometimes that's an advantage <laughs> um so the other couple of weeks ago i think i was i was sitting outside and i either sit on a got a foam mat that's really comfortable or i sit in a wheelchair and, and i just sit and hope that birds are, will come and, and land near me and it was a beautiful sunny day and i thought this would be perfect but there were no birds there were no birds anywhere to be seen and i was getting despondent and then suddenly a field fair came and landed in the tree just like a meter and a half away from me it was just fantastic so yeah i sometimes just have to wait really and and try and be try and be patient and i think the other thing i do is you know, I can't be outside all that much. I still have to spend a lot of my day lying down and I spend a lot of time trying to listen, listening out for birds. And I've really learned to be able to identify birds from their, from their call. And that really helps, I think, because if I hear something that's a bit different or, or something that I recognize that I really want to go and see, then I can go up, get up and go and have a look and, and see what's there. Absolutely. I think you make a really good point as well about the, um, you know, whether you are in the house or outside or whether you have a garden, whether you don't have a garden, there's opportunities to to bring more birds into your kind of, you know, your your space or and listening to the bird song is is a really great way to actually really try and identify the birds out there as well. It can be a bit of fun as well. Yeah, it's something that I did in 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 lockdown. I, I got an app called BirdNet and there's, there's, there's other ones available and it records the bird song that you hear and then it gives you an idea of what it thinks it is. It's not always that accurate, but it, it, it often is if it gets a good sample of, of birdsong. And it's really fun trying to just learn and pick out, oh, that's, that's a robin, that's a blue tit. And it also means, as I say, that when you, when you hear something that's a bit different, then you, your mind automatically thinks, ah, I don't recognise that, what is it? You know, when it turned out it was a bullfinch one time, and that was really exciting because we don't often get bullfinches. So I think that listening is a really important part of, of bird watching <laughs> and you you're ticking all the boxes as far as the you know some of the tips of, of, of attracting birds to to your garden whether you want to see them or just to to feed them in general which is which is great with the the fat balls and and feeders and things that's wonderful could you tell us anna a bit more about you know your experience with me and and how that's affected your connection to nature yeah so you know i said already i can't I can't move around very much. I can't stand for very long, but I can sit still. And sometimes that actually gives you a better connection with nature than someone who is, is walking through a, a forest or a wood or a park uh, and isn't really paying attention to what's there. And I know I've had experiences where I've, I've talked to someone who has just walked through a park and said, Oh, there was nothing. I didn't see it. No birds around. And then I went and I just sat and I saw all sorts of things. And I think that that is an advantage. It's something that 
is maybe not in my natural state, but something I've had to learn as a part of the process of being ill. And it makes you stop and really observe things. And I think one of the things that I really enjoyed is really noticing the difference between different birds. I don't think I really knew the difference between a dunnock and a house sparrow a few years ago, you know. Um, and, and now I've had to really watch them and really observe them. And that is something that's actually really special and something that I think people can do really easily themselves. And I think being housebound makes me feel it can be very isolating. You know, I can feel very trapped, very cut off from the world. And watching nature opens the world back up again. You know, you feel you're you're part of something that's a lot bigger than just you and your four walls. Um, and I think that's really beneficial. That's been really nice. I have to say it's a double-edged sword. So the more I've learned about nature and birds, the more I want to go and see all of the wonderful, exciting birds that are out there that I can't necessarily go and see. And it can be really frustrating. I know that there's a kingfisher about a mile, just over a mile from my house um, that's regularly seen. And I have only managed one trip to try and see it and I got a fly past which was wonderful but I really really want to go and see it perched on a branch somewhere and that can be really hard so yeah I try and appreciate the nature I can see and not get too frustrated about the nature that I, I can't see very easily. Yeah and I think as, as you say it is sometimes we all need to do a bit of slowing down eh, and just kind of stopping and looking and um, and uh, just even the we took part in the in the big garden Birdwatch at the weekend at RSPB one and and even just stopping for that hour to actually look into the garden and see what birds are out there and, and you know ticking off which ones were there that actually was a really good way to as you say notice the birds see the differences and learn a bit more about them. It can be quite a, a meditative meditative experience I think just sitting and, and watching and not feeling the need to achieve something or to do something but just to be just to be. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we did it with the children and it was a case of, right, just stop for this hour and, and look and notice um, and, and then submit our results. So absolutely, it's a great thing for people uh, to to do. And in your photos, you've obviously got racked up quite a lot now um, with, with, with your, your kind of hobby and, and they've been turned into a book. So can you tell us more about the book and who, who it's aimed at? Yeah, so the book is called uh, 25 Birds, One Year, One Garden. And as the name suggests, they're all taken from my, my small suburban garden over the course of one year. And they really sort of chart the bird life in my, in my garden over that year. So there's a photo of a long-tailed tit with sort of winter dappled light on a, on a bed ranch. And then there's um, a house sparrow collecting a, a feather for its nest obviously to, to line its nest and then I've got juvenile blue tits which are clearly just fledged they're so little and fluffy um, and they're not able to do anything for themselves and I've got a photo just as the the parent um, brings it food and captured that moment of it putting food into its feet and then later on I've got uh, juvenile starlings when they juvenile starlings are, are brown at first and they only develop their adult feathers um, over the course of the next few months and at some point they're half and half and I've captured this photo where it's some brown feathers and some of the adults or black white uh, iridescent feathers of an adult which is really really lovely to see and then I we get summer birds late late summer we get chiff chaffs and willow warblers and uh, and I've captured some photos of those so it sort of it shows the whole year um, of 
bird life in, in my garden. And each photo is accompanied by um, a short amount of text, which says something interesting about the birds or about how I captured the, the photo or the, the challenges that I faced in, in doing that. Um, and all the profits from the book are going to the charity Action for ME, which does a huge amount of work in supporting people with ME, raising awareness, raising funds for, for biomedical research, which is all really, really important. So it all goes to a good cause as well. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, and it gives a real insight into a year in your garden, which I think you, sometimes you don't stop and, and see the difference with the birds as the, as the seasons go on and, and things are happening out there, but there's always, always things going on out there. And and do you have any favourite photos and any, any you know, nice stories that kind of accompany these favourite photos? Uh, yes. So, I mean, it depends what, what you mean, whether you're talking about uh, a photo that's uh, a great image but I think my favourite one is is the house sparrow. It's a bird we see so often. It's so easy to dismiss it as oh, just a house sparrow. But they actually are really beautiful. They're beautiful markings. And I managed to capture this one that has a tiny white fluffy pigeon feather in its beak. And it's, a, it's got this grey background. But the features of the feather and of the bird really show up. And, I, and that's that's one of my favourite as a, as a photo. And then... I think the one I'm most proud of is the blue tip being fed, the baby blue tip being fed by the adult because that just took so much effort to get. I, I'd heard them arrive, but the adult takes about, I don't know, half a second or something to put the food into the beak of the, of the baby blue tip. So capturing that moment is really tricky. At the same time, I can't stand up for very long. So I was having to lean on a wheelie, wheelie bin and I kept having to have breaks and trying to get the light right and the settings right on the camera and that so that's the one that I think was the hardest one to actually achieve a look that I'm pleased with and then uh, I have a photo of a juvenile woodpecker and that was the the nature moment that I was just the most amazing so it's not necessarily a brilliant photo in terms of the image but it's the one that for me was just the most incredible heart-stopping moment We'd be having woodpeckers visit, I think, the previous year a few times, and then they'd obviously discovered us. And from last May, they came, both male and female came quite regularly. And, and they're just a joy to see. I mean, every single time they come, it's just, wow, it's just amazing. And then we noticed that both the woodpeckers were, were coming more often, and they were flying Instead of just flying away in any direction, they were flying directly to the park, which is perhaps 10 minutes away. And one evening, particularly, they came probably seven times, literally taking huge chunks of cat ball, flying to the park, flying back again, you know, backwards and forwards all evening. And we thought they must be feeding young. They must be a nest somewhere, which is so exciting. Really, really hope that they bring the juvenile to come and see us. And then they did. And it was incredible. And at first, the juvenile was just sitting in a tree and the adults. So, so with great spotted woodpeckers, each, uh, each parent takes responsibility for one of the chicks. In this case, there's only one chick. So it was the, the male was taking responsibility. So the male went to our fat balls, took a chunk of fat ball, brought it to the juvenile and, and fed it. And then over the course of the next few weeks, the juvenile came back on its own and learned how to feed itself. Um, that was the most incredible moment of the year, I think, for me. 
It sounds like it. That's a really special moment. It's lovely seeing woodpeckers in, in real life. You, you know, you often hear them and actually seeing them is, is such a special moment. And photography obviously does play a massive part in your your, your personal journey with Emmy and your kind of overall well being. Can you just tell us how, how that how that does impact on your on your actual your health? Yeah, I mean I think creativity is something that's I think it's important for everyone, but I think particularly everyone that I know with a chronic illness or some sort of finds creativity really important. It's a way to escape, I guess. Uh, it doesn't take away the symptoms. It doesn't make you feel less ill. It doesn't make you any better, but it does just give you some moments of joy and some uh, a break, I guess, a short break, which is lovely. Uh, I have to say that one of the key symptoms of ME is any sort of exertion, uh, whether that's physical or cognitive, there's often a huge exacerbation of symptoms, so often payback. And that's really hard. So it can be on a beautiful sunny day when I just want to be outside all morning that I suffer quite badly from having done that. So it's not necessarily always a good thing. It's wonderfully, it's a wonderful thing for mental health and for having a break from the drudgery of being ill every single day but it can also come with consequences so I have to be quite careful about how much I do and keep an eye on on how well I'm feeling. Absolutely yeah it's it's a it's a hard one isn't it you want to enjoy that time but it, it's the the after effect that that sometimes you have to deal with. And at, at, uh, at Nature Scott we're strongly focused on the twin crises of climate and nature um, do you hope that your work will inspire people as far as raising awareness and the importance of preserving nature for future generations? Yeah, I mean, I'm really hoping that it will do. And I really wanted the book to be accessible to you know a whole range of people. Uh, and I, I think I have achieved that because I've had some wonderful comments from people from a whole range of uh, experiences of, of nature and bird watching, from people who are really not that interested in birds particularly, um, but have used the book to help them identify species, being able to tell apart blue tits and great tits and cold tits for the first time. And and I think that's really important. It helps people to appreciate the nature that's that's all around them. But I've also had wonderful comments from people who are really experienced, really seasoned bird watchers who, who have been out and seen all sorts of exciting things. And they looked at my picture of a, a feral pigeon, you know, a we see them all the time and we mostly dismiss them as being a bit of a nuisance. And he said he'd never looked at a feral pigeon in this way. They have beautiful iridescent green feathers around the neck and markings around their eyes. And I hope that people will then look at just the normal birds that we see every day and just see them a little bit differently and appreciate them and see their beauty. And that that will you know, encourage people to then want to protect nature. Yeah, I think um, with our Make Space for Nature campaign, we're always trying to encourage people just to 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 notice, take care, you know, value value nature, and, and really what's on your doorstep or outside your window. Absolutely, and and just talking about the campaign, you know, we have ten ways that that people can help wildlife in winter, um, and you've you've kind of touched on some of the things that that you've been doing. Which ones of these, you know, ten? Which ones really resonate with you? Yeah, the one that, that really struck me was the lazy gardening. <laughs> because, <laughs> yes. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to call it lazy gardening because I mm -hmm. think it can be purposeful. Um, but we, we, I've described that our 
the front lawn, it's, it's a very small piece of grass, but I even so I don't have the energy to, to mow it. So I used to have someone who came every few weeks over the summer and, and he did that for me. And one year, for some reason, he couldn't come and the grass just got left and it got longer and longer. And I noticed that there was an orchid in the middle of this grass. It wow. perhaps been there dormant for years, I don't know. And it suddenly appeared, this common spotted orchid. It was incredible. And uh, so now that piece of grass gets left so that the, the, the orchid doesn't get cut down. And various patches of, of grass get left. And one year we noticed that there was a bumblebee nest in the, in the long grass, which is amazing as well. Just so lovely that, that nature could thrive in this, this tiny piece of, of grass. And of course it's good for birds. Uh, goldfinches love the, the, picking the seed heads of dandelions. I mean, I love having goldfinches on the feeders, but there's something really special about watching them in their natural habitat and then doing something natural and not just eating the seeds that I put out for them. And that is always lovely to see. Mm -hmm. They're certainly beautiful birds, aren't they? We've not had any for a wee while, actually. need to get more of the Niger seeds out um, and, and try and attack them. And, you know, you've talked about some days when you've not been able to get out and you've listened to the bird song. Is there anything else that you do when, when you really are, are unable, you know, to get out? How, how can you still continue to make space for nature in your life? I mean, I think the, I think the listening is the main important thing. So there's times when I am spending a lot of time in bed and I will just open the windows and, and listen out for the birds, the robins, blackbirds, the sparrows, whatever happens to be around. That's really important. When I'm able to, I can sit on the sofa and I, I position the bird feeders particularly so that I can, I can see them easily. I'm just watching what's, what's coming to and fro, um, as, as the day passes. And then of course, when I can get outside, it's, that's lovely. And I can, I can sit and, and watch and breathe in the fresh air. And that's always, that's always really nice. And for any of our listeners who might be, you know, inspiring nature photographers, do you have any tips that you could give them? Whether, whether they, you know, are, are completely physically able or have any kind of disability, what, what would be your, your top tips for, for people who might want to get into nature photography? Yeah, so I mean, it obviously depends very much on, on what your issues are. For me, I can't hold anything that's very heavy. And a lot of the, the really good nature cameras, Nikon and Canon, and particularly once you've got a zoom lens on it, are really heavy. So for me, going for a, going for a Sony mirrorless camera, and that is one of the lightest cameras you can get. It's still, there's still some, some weight to it, but that makes it much, much easier for me. I can hold that much more easily and if my arms start start tiring then you know that's it's not a good thing if your arms tire and you take your shaky photographs so so the camera equipment i think is is really important i think finding creative ways to be around nature and i think one of the things that i learned is that you can use your car as a hide you know you don't necessarily need to be out walking through a, a forest as long as you can park somewhere uh, and sit and watch, uh, and birds won't notice that you're there, and you can get fairly close to them that way. A lot of the nature reserves these days have, have made very accessible, so if you can't walk very far, don't feel afraid to try out mobility equipment, whether it's a wheelchair or, or a scooter or whatever works for you. That's what they're there for, and I know a lot of people have been very nervous of, of trying that. I think those are the main things. I think patience is something that people with chronic illnesses as i said already will 
will have had to develop. And I think that that can be a huge advantage for the nature of photography. And your your own goals or plans for the future as far as nature photography is is anything that you're you're hoping to achieve or anything high up on your on your list of things that you're you're aiming for yeah i try not to make goals because it's so hard to predict what my body's going to be able to do and and because it's so out of my control it can feel very disappointing when i can't achieve something i want to achieve so i'm quite happy most of the time to just see what happens and see what comes and see what I'm able to do. Having said that, <laughs> I, there's always more that I can learn. So there's always more to learn about and to take better photographs. Um, one of the things I'd really like to do is take more birds in flight, which I haven't done a lot of and I've struggled with quite a bit. I would love to get better at identifying gulls because although I've said, oh, we should appreciate all the wonderful birds, however common they are, I have to admit I have sort of overlooked gulls quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and recently I've discovered that we have three types of gull. We have common gulls, herring gulls, and lesser black-backed gulls. But I, I would still want to get better at ad identifying them. On the rare occasions I'm well enough to get out, I really want to go and see that kingfisher. <laughs> <laughs> and you get, you get quite a lot of people who are, who are very into their bird watching and bird identification, whether or not you're a, a, a twitcher or just someone who's excited if they see a, a, an attractive bird in the garden or, or if they're out for a walk. And I, I've heard friends, I'm, 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 I'm hoping I'm getting this right, but talking about their, their number of uh, lifers they've seen as far as the number of different species they've identified over the course of, of their life. Um, I don't know if, uh, uh, do you do that? Do you, do you keep a track of how many you've seen over a long period of time? Do you have any that are on your list that you're, you're desperate to tick off one day? I, I don't keep a list. I have a house list, um, and I think that that's about 32 or 33 species just from the house. I would love to see lots of birds. I would love to see a water rail, and again, I think there is one has been seen fairly close to my house. I would love to see a hawfinch, and I would love to see a crossbill. I'm quite interested in these sort of smaller birds that I think perhaps get a bit less attention. Those are on my list. If anyone knows of an easy way of getting to see them. <laughs> Absolutely. Get in touch with you. Yeah. And as you say, gulls are, are pretty magnificent actually to, to watch as well. So they're, um, they're good. They're a good bird. Most people can see them uh, nowadays, but um, yeah, it's, as you say, it's more about the garden birds that we, we tend to focus on, isn't it? And I'm just thinking about, you know, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I just really want to know what what message do you want to convey to your, to, to our our listeners? You, you, you know, so through your work in your book, what 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 do you want to what what do you want to kind of tell people? I think really this that that nature is is all around us, and all it takes is just to spend a few minutes appreciating what there is, and it doesn't need to need expensive equipment. You don't even really need binoculars if you're walking around a town, and you just look at the birds. Uh, even on the few occasions that I have been out, you know, I've seen song thrushes, I've seen sparrowhawks, there's lots of peregrine falcons in our cities. So I think just taking a few moments to really appreciate what we have, I think, is something that I would, I would like more people to be able to do. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know it's been lovely to hear about your journey and, and we look forward to, to, look, to seeing which other birds you managed to capture and your, your wonderful photographs in the future. Thank you very much for having me. 
Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.com.